This episode is brought to you by Facebook Gaming. Facebook Gaming is building the world's gaming community by helping game makers, developers, and publishers to build, grow, and monetize their games. They do this by providing research-based insights, in-depth case studies, as well as a wide variety of educational materials. A recent example of this is Games Marketing Insights for 2021, a report that has just been released and is available to download for free right now. Of course, Facebook Gaming also helps developers and publishers of all sizes to deploy powerful UA and monetization strategies through a range of innovative solutions designed for games marketers in every corner of the industry. Go to fb.gg forward slash DOF for in-depth educational materials, including playbooks, webinars, blogs, and reports, as well as great video content. We all know it. Mobile marketing is going through a paradigm shift. With the industry moving towards a more aggregate way of measuring marketing efforts, marketers' ability to measure and understand the impact of their marketing investments is further curtailed. AppsFlyer, though, is not sitting on the sidelines. The company has set a goal to help their customers and the entire mobile ecosystem to successfully navigate the new era of mobile marketing. And that's where AppsFlyer's latest product, the incrementality solution, comes to play. It's a product that truly empowers marketers to gain a better understanding of the real value that their marketing efforts hold. AppsFlyer's incrementality solution is built around remarketing. It simplifies the process of designing, executing, and analyzing incremental lift tests at scale, which previously was something that only the biggest players on the market were able to do. With with incrementality, marketers can focus on the end goal of their test without actually having to worry about the heavy lifting that comes with it. To learn more about incrementality and to read the success stories from publishers like Kabam, I suggest you head out to appsflyers.com. Really at Jam City, we want to treat the players first and foremost. We really care about their experiences. That comes down to ad quality and what type of ads they're seeing. We want to make sure that the performance is there. Waterfall management does take a lot of time. The big drawback is the back and forth with networks, obviously the uh, analysis behind it, and not always is the juice worth the squeeze, so to speak. That was Kyle. Kyle is the Senior Director of Ad Monetization from Jam City, and he uses IronSource's platform to automate his monetization and grow game revenue. That is time that is really maximized and could theoretically be a 50 to 100% to 2x increase in overall ad revenue. Theoretically, Level Play just automates a lot of that. That is a huge time sink for a lot of our teams. Want to grow like Jam City? Get the SDK on ironslc.com. That's ironslc.com. All right, welcome to the Deconstructor of Fun podcast with your MC Adam Telfer because Miska is out. Um, what is he doing? He's on like holiday um, right after he's got his second baby trip with his uh, his family. Yeah, yeah, good for him. So I'll also be out. I think for the next, I think spotty on and off for the next couple of weeks, going to cottages and stuff like that. Um, what are you yeah, guys? What doing? is this like? How many cottages do you own? I mean, what was that all about? You're going <laughs> cottage hopping. <laughs> cottage shopping yeah, yeah it's a canadian thing so um both sides of my family and my wife's family both have cottages so got to visit both otherwise uh the other side of the family gets hurt <laughs> and then wait, on wait, that, what, uh, 
just not to bore everyone to death, but what the fuck is a cottage though? Is it like something on a lake or something? Or why yeah, is yeah. it called like a, a like a like a lake? A lake cottage? house. I, did, does no one else use cottage? Is cottage like not a thing? I, I've never heard the term, but you know, I'm from the West Coast, so who knows? Maybe it, it's an East Coast thing. I mean, I okay. you know, I lived in Finland and Estonia for a long time, and it's a thing there. I imagine it's a very similar concept. It's kind of like a rustic, like very few amenities basically mm -hmm. just a shelter uh in in nature <laughs> so yes, i guess exactly. in, 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 in california the bay area a cottage is worth like two million dollars yeah, so a cottage, yeah, cottage in palo alto yeah, a cottage in palo alto is two and a half million <laughs> yeah, <maybe>. yeah. <laughs> yeah right. i'm going to a, a shack in the woods for you know a few weeks gotcha uh, yeah. you going no, hunting yeah. no um, i don't go hunting <laughs> all right Let's get let's get moving because we have hard stops. Eric Seifert's a busy man. Seifert is a busy man. I'm gonna just mess your name up forever. All right. So th this is the worst time of the year for Mr. Kress, and uh, because generally there's nothing fucking going on during the summer until we get Madden, FIFA, you know those things. But uh, and ever all my clients generally go on vacation July August. So this is uh, anyway slow. But it is a very slow news week. Don't you agree? I mean, this isn't wasn't much going on honestly. So, so we're like, I'm, 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 I am uh, scraping the barrel here, folks. Um, so the first one is LeBron James in Fortnite. You know, they are clearly running out of ideas when they're throwing LeBron James into Fortnite. And, uh, and seriously, I, I imagine they didn't think they were going to lose round one to the Suns. Um, so, but LeBron definitely has lost his step. And, uh, you know, he's 36. He's getting a little out there age wise. Uh, but he is, in Fortnite, so good for him um the second update is black widow had a great debut as a uh, movie um i uh, i actually went to go see it with a bunch of uh my son's basketball player team i didn't think it was that bad but man it was slow it was very slow and very boring and with these you went to the theater yeah the theater yeah sorry yes. wow. and we had like eight 11 and 12 year old boys watching this movie theater and i have never heard so much chatting in the theater i thought we were going to get kicked out but it was really really boring for them they, they were not fans um but the movie did really well the theater was packed and i forgot like how great it is to actually go to the theater you know so um so anyway it was it was a good experience for me anyway except the stress of these kids wreaking havoc um, the other thing that I saw that was interesting is uh, this game called Grand Chase. Uh, it's a mobile game. It's kind of taking on Genshin Impact with kind of 100 characters to collect. Um, it's cur currently in pre-registration mode. And the game, it seems a little niche and a little bit too anime for me. But and, and the one thing that's different from it is it's, like, it's basically isometric like Diablo as opposed to 3D like Genshin. So the game's coming out on 19th. We'll see if it has any chance. Because, you know, one of the theories I have is that, you know, MMOs aren't really doing all that well in the West, but collection mechanics, you know, um, are, are what works. So maybe the combination will work. We will see. Um, and then finally, uh, Ghostwire Tokyo from Bethesda, a deal that they signed before they got acquired by Microsoft, clearly is a an exclusive on ps5 so that and Deathloop are really the only two announced exclusives for ps5 back to what we talked about ages ago saying there are no exclusives for ps5 or xbox series x because the install bases are too low you can't justify that kind of expense so everything's going to be cross-platform and so it's horizon and god of war all that other stuff but anyway the two ones that have are, are continually that have been continually delayed two ones that are exclusive um and uh and 
So it looks like this one is moving out to 2022, but we will see Deathloop in September 14th. So we'll see how, how well that does. That game doesn't look all that great to me, but I don't know. What did you think of Deathloop, by the way, Adam? Did you follow it at all? I, I, I don't know. It looks like- It's um, not on your radar. No, like I, I'm excited to play it. It's only like a couple months away, you know? Yeah. It seems like another Returnal where they're just trying to repeat the same thing over and over again to save money on content. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Anyway, it, I, it does look intriguing as a concept, but I, in, in practice, I don't know how well it'll do. I, I'm not expecting much. All right. Um, one correction from last week from me, um, the Assassin's Creed Infinity stuff. Um, I don't think I mentioned it, but uh, after recording in Canada that Ubisoft um, says the title won't actually release until 2024. Um, so that just means that in the meantime, you know, Assassin's Creed is likely to continue to launch, you know, premium and DLC model until then. Um, so this is just really looking at 2024 plus. It, um, did they actually say that, or are you kind of speculating that that is true? Because double check the sources. It seems like that's the news, right? Let me but if they're check. dedicating that much of a team to build it, you know, Infinity, are they really going to have the resources to build another Assassin's Creed game? But there is they, there is what there was one that was supposed to be this year. And they're probably going to push it till next year. So maybe maybe they have something. So I, I am speculating that there's more Assassin's Creeds to come before Infinity. Um, but yeah, so from GameSpot, the headline is Assassin's Creed Infinity confirmed rumored to launch 2024 at the soonest. So that's the rumor. Um, the speculation is other Assassin's Creed before then. I would assume so. Seems like a big yeah, I, gap. Honestly, I think they have one more before it. That's what I think. That's what okay. My, okay. My, yep. my, my expectation is. All right, go ahead. Okay, so Eric's favorite news on blockchain. Um, Axie Infinity, um, according to Masari, Axie Infinity's token has officially reported a new market cap of over a billion dollars. So what that actually means in terms of revenue has been reported that Axie Infinity generated about $20 million in a week and is hitting about 350,000 DAU. Um, so just keep in mind here, DAUs in these types of games are pretty spiky. So DAP radar is kind of the sensor tower of some of these things. You can actually look at this stuff to see how spiky it can be. Um, and even things like NDA top shots, like how it was kind of the darling of blockchain is now also declining. Um, so just putting aside all of my questions, and I think this podcast, podcast questions around how sustainable this is, from a design perspective, at least Axie Infinity seems like it's in the right design for the space, right? Creature collection, CCRPG, multi-mode, creating a lot of value for this vast collection. So um, I think that's worth noting, um, just kind of big news, one milestone there for blockchain games. Um, Biden's executive order is now putting net neutrality back into the spotlight. Um, so there's a executive order now with several provisions relating to net neutrality, looking to revert back to Obama era, era net neutrality laws, which I think is good. Um, the FCC is now tasked with reviving the broadband nutrition label, specifically a standardized format for providers to display their price, data allowances, and details on performance. Um, so making sure that things like Netflix, um, uh, players like AT&T and Comcast can't uh, slow them down. Um, update just, on Wild Rift. Just, Rift. just, just a quick uh, note on that. I think that the executive order contained a lot of... Um, uh, basically just a lot of, of content that's that's relevant for anybody that works uh, in or adjacent to like big tech. I think it's worth reading. It's called Executive Order on Promoting Competition in the American Economy. Um, it's not that long, uh, but I would definitely recommend reading it if you work in tech. It's probably going to impact 
uh, your business. If, if uh, for instance, you're all uh, you are at all dependent uh, on Facebook advertising or any type of advertising that involves kind of like aggregating data um, on users or, or any, any, anything related to just kind of privacy. So I, I definitely would recommend giving that a read. Uh, what specifically on privacy did this uh, executive order have? Well, uh, that's, that's the interesting thing. It's not specific, right? But, um, you know, just to quote it really quickly, it says, to address persistent and recurring practices that inhibit competition, the chair of the FTC, which is a woman named Lena Khan, who's been very sort of like aggressively anti-big tech, in the chair's discretion is also encouraged to consider working with the rest of the commission to exercise the FTC statutory rulemaking authority as appropriate and consistent with applicable law in areas such as unfair data collection and surveillance practices that may damage competition, consumer autonomy, and consumer privacy. So that's pretty broad remit, right? Um, that's very <laughs> ambiguous language that kind of gives a broad scope. Wow. And if they're okay. doing executive orders, right? They, yeah, they can get, they can get, you know, ruthless, right? Right. Well, this is also on the heels of the FTC's lawsuit basically being uh, dismissed um, by, uh, by a judge. Uh, like two weeks ago, basically the, the, the lawsuit against uh, the antitrust lawsuit against Facebook that the judge basically um, he didn't throw the case out, but he threw he basically told them that, you know, he was dismissing this, but they would be allowed to refile uh, within 30 days, but said that they basically they hadn't they hadn't done any of the work to kind of support this idea that Facebook was a, non a monopoly that, that, you know, that there was no metric that they brought forward that supported right. the notion that Facebook's a, lot, uh, a, a monopoly. Well, now there's an executive order, right? Like, now I'm not, I'm not super clear on how um, with the dynamic between this executive order and then also like the court decision. I don't know how that works, but it, it seems like there's a lot of momentum in this direction. Um, and like regulation is probably going to be a big kind of top of mind subject for a lot of tech companies going forward. Yeah. Um, one quick update on our wild rift bet from twig 128 i went back and made sure that we got this all these numbers right so if you remember we're looking at that first year from march 28th of league of legends specifically in the west so no china no korea no japan no taiwan uh, the bets were miska 45 me 50 eric 60 and joe 80 and joe actually corrected me because i think i got that wrong in a previous podcast uh, Wild Rift is currently trending at 18.6 million off of 16 million downloads. That's roughly about a 1.16 RPI at three months. And if we're going to curve fit to this, it's, look like, it's looking like it's probably going to land somewhere between 50 and 60 for that first year. Um, so it's probably going to be a bet, like a, a push between Eric and myself, just like Call of Duty with Miska and Joe on either end of their crazy bets. So we'll see which one of Miska or Joe ends up actually buying our dinner at GDC whenever that happens. <laughs> yeah, you know what? You know what? The one thing that's kind of strange about this whole thing is that the, the downloads are just so much lower than we expected, right? Yeah. Just yeah. overall, right? And, I, and I, you know, you look at the charts, uh, you know, the monetization is just not high enough to spend most likely, like profitably anyway, but they could. And... Um, yeah, I don't know. I thought I thought a game like this, like with such a big user base, would get a lot more downloads worldwide. You know, I mean, it has like yeah, forty-five million downloads. Downloads that's a lot. Before we did this bet, right? Like we we didn't do this bet with. We did it after, say, a couple weeks of download data. So mm -hmm. we already kind of knew that it was going to trend towards something like 30, 40. But I bet you, if we would have asked to do this um, bet before League of Legends even had data in Sensor Tower. 
right. we would have all been asking for much higher download numbers, right? Um, and potentially, yeah. you know, still around the same RPI. Um, but yeah, just, you know, you expect after something like Call of Duty Mobile that you'd be able to get these hundreds of millions of downloads, um, but League of Legends didn't get it, even though it's a pretty comparable IP in my yeah. eyes. All right, well, we'll see if they can keep supporting it with content and, you know, step up the numbers a bit. I mean, we do see a little bit of spikiness, you know, with revenue, with content releases. So if they can continue that, maybe it will do better than we think. We shall see. All, All right. right. Talk about First story. Now, I'm, I, was, I was really, this is a stretch, right? So <laughs> this, the only reason this gets on my radar is because I'm a huge WoW nerd. But um, so there's an article basically saying how WoW, uh, the, WoW is a disappointment, the current patch for um, Shadows not shadows yeah shadows whatever anyway um plus a a, a twitch streamer as well as um a, a great marketing campaign um created an exodus from uh, or no, created a spike in interest in final fantasy 14 um and final Fantasy 14 if you don't know is just a huge mmo that uh is actually really really good uh, I never have gotten into it too much because I just I don't like the universe as much, but it is a good. But recently it had its best month ever. Um, it, it Square Enix said they sold out of digital copies, which makes no sense. Um, I don't know how that's even possible, but that's what they said. And they basically had to halt uh, character creation in New York, in North America because there was so much, you know, influx of players. And they had the highest concurrent players on Steam at 47K. Um, so usually with these type of spikes, it's related to uh, expansions or, or, or content. But in this case, you know, the last content update was in April. So that was not what was going on. So what was going on is they created a really interesting advertising campaign that became a meme. Um, this WoW streamer came from WoW because uh, a little bit of a disillusionment with uh, the WoW uh, update and came to Final Fantasy. Um, and just an overall disappointment in, in the WoW update, um, ge generally speaking. Uh, but the biggest impact is clearly this Asmongold, who I don't know who, who he is, who is one of the biggest WoW streamers, basically said that he didn't really care for what, what they were doing in WoW, so he moved over to Final Fantasy and wanted to experience the leveling up process to the end game. And, and so, anyway, I, he was just, they were just talking about why the fans were a little bit frustrated because of, of the way um, you know the content in Shadowlands is, is coming out and 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 of course there's a bunch of dorks that talk about the, the story and stuff that as, as a big problem too but I, I really have no idea what that's about um, but in in the reported results in this in the article they basically said that Activision said they've lost like five million players from Q1 of 21 from Q1 of 20. Um, so there just seems like a general apathy towards WoW and this last expansion. Um, and then finally, they talked about this advertising campaign where they, it's basically Final Fantasy is free to play up to level 60, which be, basically created a meme and got a lot of attention out there um, and brought probably an influx of new players or you know revisiting players. Um, so anyway, my take is this, is like what I get out of these type of articles is like it's a great example or, or a case study of three things that are driving a lots of interactivity with free to play and other types of content, right? Um, first, it like shows, you know, the power of content and also the risk of content from WoW's perspective. It also shows the influencer impact on moving big audiences from one game to another, right? And then also how cl a clever marketing campaign can actually drive, you know, player adoption, which I think is, is, is quite cool as well. Um, and, and, 
in terms of the content thing for WoW, um, I don't want to go into this whole like rant about how Blizzard's falling apart because I, I just am tired of talking about it. But fundamentally, the biggest problem with this expansion is not necessarily the content itself, but it's how long it took for them to get it out, right? So versus the last two expansions, they had a major update in four months for Battle of Azeroth and two months for Legion. This game has taken seven months to get a significant content update. And I think this content update is just not significant enough, right? And, and I think that is really frustrating for the player base of, 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 of WoW who expect you know, more frequent updates, particularly the Raiders and the hardcore guys that are just maxing levels and maxing you know, their character. And even for me, and I'm not even playing that much, I was done with the content in like two or three months, you know, so whatever, anyway. Um, the second thing is the influencer impact. Um, obviously this was not planned or executed by Square, but, uh, but this guy got frustrated with WoW and he's a total WoW fanatic and he, and he basically played the game for a few days and brought over a bunch of people. So I think that's pretty impressive. And then also the advertising campaign, which again, became a meme. Um, and, you know, it is, as, you know, anecdotally, it's very, very challenging to get new players into MMOs um, as they age. Uh, so, so the cleverness of the campaign is pretty, pretty awesome that they were able to do that. Now, so... Anyway, I guess, you know, my conclusion here is that like, you know, with the content, you need to be consistent and, and get it in on time and also make it compelling. And I just don't think Blizzard's doing a very good job of supporting their game. So that leaves them open for these, these opportunities for competitors to come in and, and, and take some of their player base. I mean, even I was, I actually downloaded Final Fantasy before I read this article a few weeks ago. Uh, just to try it out because I had just been so bored with it. So anyway, so I just wanted to, you know, you know, articulate those things, and 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 I thought it was very interesting. I'm hope, hoping WoW will get back to form and, and release more content more often uh, to keep their player base happy. Um, besides Final Fantasy XIV, did any other MMO-like game get a spike of players like Destiny or Warframe or something? You know, I nothing. Not that I'm seeing. I'm seeing. There, uh, yeah, yeah, no, not at all. I'm just, we're seeing generally um, a huge reduction in terms of engagement across the board, across mm -hmm. all games, frankly, except for Apex for some reason. Um, so yeah, I didn't really see any big spikes in Destiny or anything else. Interesting. Because you'd think, like there's all these people that obviously like World of Warcraft types of stack grind systems. Um, and if World of Warcraft is taking seven plus months for every update, like where do they go? Right, where do they get that hit? Um, yeah. The last one obviously was like Outriders, but there hasn't been another stat grind game in a while. Yeah, you know, like I, yeah, I think, and and, and then games like um, uh, what's Ubisoft's game? Um, Division. Yep. Yeah, Division is just completely dead, as far as I can tell. Destiny gets people coming in and out of that game. You know, I think they do get, you know, those kind of like moves of, of people that are looking for to get back in and. But, uh, you know, because I think they maintain a pretty good user base. But, yeah, no other spikes. And I, there's no really other MMOs. And I know I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get flack for this. I mean, the New World game from Amazon is coming out. But that seems super niche and, and core. I don't, and so that, that, that's, that one's coming out, I think, in August or September. So, um, but, no, I didn't really see anything else, any other moves. There, there was a good, um, on Hacker News yesterday, it was like, front page uh there was a uh, a screenshot of uh of a post on 4chan from 
And now this is like not confirmable, but like supposedly from a Blizzard employee who was just describing like what was going on. And it sounded like just typical kind of like big company dysfunction. I think a lot of this stuff too is like, I mean, you know, Blizzard kind of like a legacy gaming company, right? And World of Warcraft, I mean, I don't know how old that game is, but like navigating this new world of like influencers and the power that they, you know, wield, right? In terms of like uh, user-based movements and and just like the the general like, center of gravity for a game i think it's it's hard for a lot of companies to, to to fully grok that and like nurturing that nurturing those people and like listening to them and and and, and sort of like um i don't want to say like being able to control what they say but just 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 having like a really productive line of communication with them so that they don't pull stuff like this um and like massively disrupt uh you know the business of that game is, is super important and I feel like so few gaming companies, especially, I mean, especially mobile gaming companies, but like legacy gaming companies just, just really struggle with that, just really struggle with managing um, this very sort of like powerful voice. No, I, I, that is totally true. And, and what's a little bit ironic is that they, they, they were the ones that kind of pioneered community development, right? You know, Blizzard yeah. was the one that had all these people that were directly communicating with the, the on the boards with, with their player base. Um, yeah. And I think that there is a notion that that's gone by the wayside a bit uh, as of late, but actually, there, but at the end of the day, waiting seven months for content is just not no bueno. Sure. That's not, that is not going to work for this, this player base who's so rabid and, and, you know, engaged, but, yeah. but yeah, but managing, <laughs> yeah. I, how, yeah. How can you control these people? I guess you can control them with money, but like at the end of the day, they're like their own people and, and, and they do what they want. And they're like, what, 18 years old. <laughs> So yeah like, you know it's yeah it, it is it is it is a different different time you know and and uh and and this article of you know it's just a good example of how that can go work against you i suppose cool uh so moving on to the next uh piece of news so the article title is google expands ad targeting in mobile games amid pandemic gaming boom uh it's from ad uh ad age which is uh paywalled um <laughs> But, uh, you know, if you want to look up the article, that's the title. But you can also just find this, um, the, 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 the core of the, of the announcement on Google's blog, um, such blog.google. So essentially, Google has added um, a bunch of new campaign targeting types and a couple of other features that are, that are um, mostly, um, mostly pointed at games developers. So they've added uh, T ROAS bidding. So, um, target ROAS. So basically you're, it's a bidding type where you're, you're, you're bidding against some, uh, percentage of, of, of return on ad spend within a, within a time period. They've added uh, T ROAS bidding for app campaigns for engagement, uh, or ACE. Um, so app campaigns for engagement are, um, are basically campaigns directed at, at former users, right? So trying to get people or, or existing users, but just trying to bring them into the game at a specific time, they've added T-Row as bidding for, for those campaign types. Uh, now that's, that's on Android, right? So that's not on iOS. It's on Android because T-Row as on, on iOS is, is I don't, don't want to say impossible, but it's, it's very difficult now. And, and, and Google itself has even kind of recommended that, um, that game developers and, and other advertisers don't use that uh, campaign type, but, but they've added this, basically they've added like a, a ROAS target type uh, bidding mechanism for their, their re-engagement campaigns. 
Um, so quoting the article, according to blog posts, it says soon you'll be able to use target return on ad spend bidding for ACE campaigns on Android. You can adjust bids dynamically based on the value each returning player is likely to create when they take in-game actions. This allows your ACE campaigns to maximize profitability by keeping your most valuable players loyal and active. This feature is currently available as a closed beta. So basically what this is saying is like, you're, you're going to be able to do these re-engagement and engagement campaigns on the basis of like some expected percentage return on your ad spend within a, within a certain amount of time. It's just allowing game developers to, to, to get more kind of like systematic with how they do re-engagement. Um, cause re-engagement can actually be really difficult to do, um, at scale. Uh, there's a lot of companies that really excel at it, a lot of gaming companies, but a lot don't. And so this is just kind of bringing that power to, to more game developers. But again, just pointing out, this is only available on Android. Uh, other new features that they're introducing is a deep link free option for ACE campaigns. So basically you'll be able to run engagement ads without needing a deep link to, to, to jump the user um, into a specific point in the game. These re-engagement campaigns will just automatically direct to the loading screen. Um, they're bringing T-ROAS uh, bidding uh, for, uh, against ads revenue. So basically you'll be able to bid on a T-ROAS basis for not just IAP revenue, but also for ads to so be bidding against the expected uh, revenue that a user will bring in uh, by clicking on ads. And then they're uh, bringing reinstall exclusion. So basically you'll be able to exclude users that have previously uninstalled your game. Um, so basically only, essentially only target users that, that have churned, but have, still have the game installed. And then again, all this is for Android. Uh, so one other um, feature, and I'll get to like a, a broader point I wanna make here, but one other feature, uh, they, they've brought open bidding uh, available to all app developers with AdMob. So AdMob is their their uh, monetization solution. So one thing to point out is that AdMob bidding only works when using AdMob for mediation. So you can't you can't add AdMob as a bidder if you're using, for instance, Max. Right? Max is AppLovin's uh, bidding solution. Um, okay. And one other thing before I get to the bigger point. So um, additionally, at its Game Developers Summit, uh, which was held on the same day that they made all these other announcements. Google introduced play as you download, which um, is a feature that makes gameplay available after some percentage of assets have been downloaded and just sideloads the rest as you play, right? So, yeah, and they have an animated GIF that shows how this works. So basically instead of clicking on download and waiting for the whole game to download before you can start playing it, you download just kind of like the, 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 the necessary assets to start the game. Like, so it might be, I don't know, and I think in the examples, like 18%, and then the game opens and you can start playing. So you just, it just reduces the amount of time it takes from starting the download to, to getting into the gameplay. Um, my sense is that that's not like a big game changer. That's a, a cool feature. It's kind of nifty, but um, I don't think, you know, the install time is a, is a real uh, determinant in like, you know, churn or anything. You, in, in, in fact, I've done like sort of like, um, you know, actually uh, study, I've done, you know, research on this, I've done analysis on this and it doesn't really have any impact like the amount of time it takes to download, even for very large games. Uh, but anyway, it's a nifty new feature. And all of this kind of just goes to support this idea that, you know, given these, given these privacy changes on Apple, the things that are, that are, that are making it difficult for um, app developers to reach audiences, Google is really, really uh, doubling down on, on new functionality for game developers specifically to reach audiences. And I think the ACE campaigns are, um, I mean, that's like a really fantastic feature for app developers. Like it just gives them access to these really powerful uh, re-engage, you know, re-engagement tools that otherwise they need to build like sort of infrastructure and teams around. And you, you can see this kind of bifurcation now, I think, well, I think maybe you'll start to see it as Android maybe being the, you know, primary starting point for launching a game and for building an audience, uh, given the feature sets that they're going to allow and given the ease of aggregating an audience 
relative to, to iOS, which has just become much, much, much more difficult, especially for mobile gaming developers. Um, whereas, you know, obviously in the past, it, that hadn't been the case. iOS users monetize better. Um, they're kind of like more generally uh, higher value, right? Whereas with Android, you have a lot of, um, you know, models that are just like non-viable and you have to do a lot of like kind of filtering in terms of the types of uh, phones you, you target to. Well, on, on app, on iOS, you just sort of like limit older uh, iPhone models. And so I, I'm just curious to see how this develops because Google could really seize the moment here, build a lot more tools to make it really, really easy for games developers to aggregate audience um, to, to sort of like find valuable segments um, on Android. And maybe they flip that dynamic. Maybe Android becomes the sort of premier platform for mobile gaming and maybe iOS um, kind of fades a little bit uh, into the background, but would, would be happy to hear what you guys think. I, I completely agree. I think that's that's it's great for Google to be implementing these features and be moving away from um, Apple's kind of anti-developer stance, right? Um, I'd actually be really curious to get your take, Eric, on um, these re-engagement ads and their focus very much on trying to pull players back and targeting churn players. Um, have you seen that work uh, quite a bit? Do you, how important do you think re-engagement campaigns are for a lot of these scaled live services? For, I think for, for, for games that are very heavily dependent on live ops, right? So you're talking more on the core side of the spectrum, right? Like, but I mean, I don't know, even when I was at Rovio Angry Birds Friends, that game basically got resuscitated and brought back to life with live ops. And that was a very casual game, but they brought um, a, really, a really unique competitive component to it. And I think that game is still the number two revenue producer for the company. Um, so it doesn't necessarily have to be like a core game, but a lot of core games are re-engagement is the lifeblood, right? It might be the, it might be the largest kind of um, line item for, for the UA budget is just bringing back lapsed players. And some companies do it super systematically. Um, you know, they'll, they'll have uh, like a whole infrastructure set up around this where they're automating kind of user IDs that they surface and they've got models predicting like when the exact right time to reach someone with an ad is after they've kind of churned and they spend a lot of time thinking about what churn actually means. And they've got special offers that they bring users back to um, with deep linking. I mean, it's all kind of automated stuff and it, and it works really, really well. And it, it might represent you know, the majority of ad spend, it might also represent the majority of revenue. And like, in some cases, like new user acquisition is like a tiny sliver of the ad spend, just because they've got this giant historical user base, A and, and B, they may have like saturated the, you know, the, the, the TAM, if it's a game that's kind of niche. So, I mean, I think Apple basically makes that impossible. Like Apple has made that impossible on iOS and Google's leaning into it. Google's saying, no, we're, we're going to, we're going to be the platform that, that provides the tools that you do that with. And I think it's really smart for them. Uh, to to go in that direction. All right, I got I got a few questions here. So first of all, the general I, the con general consensus that I heard and and just the assumption is that Google would go this, down the same route as Apple in terms of privacy to be competitive in that way with the consumer. But these type of moves <clears throat> seem to, you know, illustrate the fact that they, maybe they won't do that. They'll differentiate their platform as better for developers, right? So, I mean. Isn't that the convention thinking? Is that these that Google was going to do the same thing as Apple, but maybe not as egregious or or not? Well, they kind of they kind of they kind of did, right? So Google announced that they're they're basically going to implement like a limit ad tracking feature, right? Uh -huh. But but keep in mind, Apple introduced limit ad tracking in 2016. So like, let's say that they're right. five years behind, right? But also the other thing to keep in mind here is that Google's ad network is 
is what they're talking about. Like when you're talking about these types of campaigns, you're talking about running them on Google's ad network, not running them, not, not opening this up for like other ad networks. And so Google is actually like kind of leading the charge on these ideas of like, you know, device centric, all the data staying on the device and privacy being preserved because data never leaves the device. Well, guess what? Google owns Android. Google owns a big ad network. It can mm. combine those two things. So Google right. might be doing both. Google might be saying, hey, look, Android users, we're preserving your privacy because we've got all these new technologies that keep all the data on the device. It never leaves. Oh, and by the way, we own Android so we can access it. Right. And it's kind of the same thing that Apple's done, but Google is an ad company first right and so like google's just got so much more sophistication with its with its um with its capabilities with advertising right so that maybe that maybe they kind of end up uh accomplishing both maybe they end up having their cake and eating it as well in that they make they they, they convince because all this all all you really need to do with this with the privacy stuff is convince people that you're protecting their privacy right like ultimately that's all you know like apple and, and i've argued this endlessly i won't do it here but like a a this a Apple, all they've done is achieve a market grab here, like and, and with their ad network and with other stuff. Like all you really need to do is like signal. You make you you know you, you sort of like make the moves that show like so like if 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 Android's saying, look, we just did limit ad tracking. We've got the privacy uh, report card which they added. We've done all these things with privacy, and also we've got these nifty new features that keep all your data on your phone. And also, hey, game developers, by the way, if you use our ad network, we've got all these tools that kind of tap into that. Um, then they, it's just kind of like, it's, it's just like doubly beneficial for them. Right. Okay. So I guess here's my, here's the point I'm trying to make here is that, but, but Apple has basically done privacy in a, in, in a very, very aggressive way by removing IDFA, right? So they're putting their money where their, their mouth, where their money is or whatever. And that, and that, that creates a problem for all of us, right. In, from a game developer perspective, right? So Google can articulate it and try to market it in any way they want and 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 try to get the consumer to believe that they, they're privacy first, but Apple's do definitely doing it, right? So that's one thing. The other thing is that back to the idea that this is beneficial for Apple, I'm gonna to try to articulate this a little bit, maybe challenging, but is that Apple and Google, these, these ecosystems seem to be completely binary. You're either one or the other, right? You're, there's not a lot of movement between them, right? And marketing the fact that it's easier for publishers to, you know, re-engage their audiences is not going to move a consumer from an Apple device to a Google device. Do you know what I'm saying? So regardless of what happened, so I don't think any of this has any impact. And if anything, it has a better impact for Apple in the sense that they can really say that they're doing privacy properly, right? But um but for publishers, they still have these Apple people that they are not going to be able to target, right? And they, that play their games, right? And, they, and these guys are never going to come over to Android. Does that make sense? So it's like, it, you know, this may be good. Google may be working on behalf of, of the publishers, but that doesn't mean that the publishers don't worry, have to, like, uh, you know, work with Apple and try to figure out a way of, of, of you know, marketing to their customers. No, no, no. I, I, I mean, of course I hear you. Um, one thing I want to be clear about is like, I'm not, what I'm not saying is that I'm not saying that Google is not really enacting privacy. It is, uh, they both are right. But Google is not doing the, the in your face, uh, prompt, right. But Google is create, Google is basically like in, like they've, they've, um, brought to market a lot of new technologies that allow for privacy, but just like in a really nuanced way, um, with like, with, with, uh, technological approaches, right. Like they've got this whole thing flock that kind of got shot down, but like they're, they're, they're doing things with like differential privacy and federated learning that actually preserve privacy, but they're not as like in your face and obvious and kind of like cheap 
as ATT, right? So I, I just want to make that point that they're both doing real privacy, right? The, the second point though is, it, I, it, you know, of course I totally agree. Like this isn't going to move consumers to, to Android products, but it might create opportunity for game developers to say, look, we used to focus 80% of our dev time on iOS. And now guess what? Google's creating these new tools that make it really easy for us to, to build big audiences of, of high value players. Let's flip that. Let's spend 80% of our dev time on Android. Let's prioritize Android versus iOS because it's so much easier for us to build an audience there, right? Like, I mean, I, I you know, there's always been an issue at like pretty much every gaming company I worked at of like Android lagging behind iOS pretty substantially. And, and that might change or, or iOS being like the launch platform and Android yeah. being something that kind of you bring to market later because it's just not as, as, as much of a priority that might change. And if they get the devs over that still could end up being a boon for, you know, Google play revenues and, and in general, like, you know, kind of bringing those game developers uh, to have an Android first mentality. Now, I don't know if that happens, um, but just building these kind of tools really does lean into that difference between the two platforms. Right. And then obviously marketing dollars will be moving, you know, which could lead to bigger downloads and bigger markets on Android. So basically something to watch going forward to see if Android picks up share because of Apple's malfeasance, you know? Um, okay, cool. Yep. I think um, I actually understood all that, you know, for the first time, like, I think, Smart Eric or dumb Eric is actually understanding smart Eric. So good. But still, still can't get my last name right. <laughs> no. <laughs> I, I, I gotta come up with something else, dude. Uh, okay, so last article. Um, no pixel in Grand Theft Auto 5. This is from Master the Meta. Um, there's been an outlier on Twitch actually for the last few years um, that not enough people are really talking about. It's Grand Theft Auto Online or Grand Theft Auto 5. Um, this week, it's actually number two on Twitch. It's beating League of Legends, Valorant, CSGO, Warzone. Um, so even Fortnite, right? Um, it's spiking based on absolutely nothing to take to did. <laughs> it's a mod community built that built role-playing servers. And like looking at the Twitch numbers, uh, Master of the Meta actually annotated them to really show Grand Theft Auto V's largest jumps. And it's pretty much directly attributed to no pixel integration and then adoption by a larger influencer community over time. And by role playing, I actually mean like playing house online, not stat based role playing games, right? This is like you are playing a person in a virtual world. So NoPixel operates as a private server for Grand Theft Auto Online with an extensive set of mods built on top. So note that this is actually not maintained or updated by Take-Two. It's just a community that builds this. The article goes through really the history of modding, which I recommend to read. I'm not going to go through it today. Um, and weirdly enough, I actually used to be a modder. I used to mod lots of real-time strategy games and even the early Grand Theft Autos. Nerd um, alert. Yeah, I know. I know. I used to do this stuff. Um, but mods and creators have kind of popped up over the last decade. And I think the biggest headlines, definitely uh, Defense of the Agents, was built in Warcraft 3. Battle Royale was built in Arma. And Auto Chess was built in Dota 2. And since 2017, there's also Grand Theft Auto Online role-playing built in this no-pixel uh, mod community happening around 2017 and then mass adoption during covid um, role-playing servers ends up being feeling like a highly watchable avatar-based reality TV show that gets millions of viewers on Twitch. 
leveraging those streamers on the show themselves, right? So no pixel role-playing actually has an application process because there's only 250 players allowed on the main server at one time. Players actually end up paying to be vetted before they play in order to skip the queue and get in the game with some people playing up to, I think a thousand dollars a year in order to skip the queue. And all that's needed to kind of fund that community's $10,000 a month server cost. Um, so the article is really pointing out the current race to capture this role-playing audience and build a service that actually tackles a lot of the friction around the, the platform. Because obviously like no pixel is a band-aid for an underlying need in the market. Um, it's, it's amateur tech built on top of amateur tech with all the crashes that come with it. So really like who is in the best position to try to you know, build the right service for this role-playing audience and awareness, right? Some major studios have kind of tried this. Like arguably you could say things like Fallout 76, maybe Sea of Thieves, any of these kind of mass multiplayer sandbox open world RPG games have hoped for this. Um, but no one moves because GTA Online just has the scale and the core gameplay like has enough variety within it itself to become an effective role-playing service. So some VC-backed services are, are, are pretty aimed at this. So Manticore, you know, trying to leverage better technology and better rev share to entice creators to come over to create those role-playing uh, modes within their game, but they just don't have the scale. So they'll end up in a position of basically trying to prime the pump and pay for creators to come over to that. But it, the big question I wanna ask you guys is, is just, do you believe that this role-playing thing the scene is actually a signal something larger or do you think it's a fad and who like which developers do you think is actually in the best situation to take this opportunity all right Eric? let me understand let me understand what pixel is so basically it is a server for gta that's run by the community that has 250 people that are role playing within it so like living out their lives within this particular gta server is that kind of what it is yeah, so the, the game itself is it, like people watch people play these avatars in this almost reality TV like setting. Yep. Okay, and they all you know interact with each other around the world and stuff. Dude, I mean we were like this is like Snow Crash like crazy shit, right? You know these people. <laughs> what, what Snow <laughs> Crash? What Snow Crash? What do you mean by Snow uh, Crash? It was like oh, oh the, the 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 metaverse yeah. book thing. Yeah, okay, this is, yeah, I mean this is like the kind of metaverse type thing where people are living their lives within a you know as a 3d avatar in a, in a virtual world. So, I mean, I, I, personally, I've always thought that this is kind of inevitable that people would really get into this sort of thing, but you need the right platform in order to make it happen. But, you know, GTA is a very compelling platform, but it's certainly not optimized against this um, at all. Right. Um, yeah. No, I mean, I think, I, I, I do think this is a trend and I think there's a lot of people that are building against it. I, the one that stands out to me and I'm still unclear because my friend Shanti and Graham have not given me any type of access to it is uh, Palea, right? The, the guys, the Singularity Six and they're like Animal Crossing style MMO. Yeah. Like that game seems kind of like in, in, in the same vein where you're basically just living out your life. And I don't know, I, again, I could talk about it if someone would give me access, right? But I mean, it's like you're, you're tending to your farm and your house and you know, you have a neighborhood, <laughs> I mean, it's pretty incredible. Like, uh, I, I, it'll be really interesting to see how well um, that game does. But um, no, I mean, I think, again, this is a trend, right? Um, and then you add, 
not in this case, but you add user-generated content to the mix too, then you know they, people could build out universes. I remember back in the '80s, dude, and yes, back in the '80s, like things like Alpha World, um, where you're actually just building your own house and stuff within this 3D universe with really, really rudimentary tools. Like this stuff has been around for a long time. I think it just takes you know a compelling experience to you know activate tons of different players. So yeah, that's kind of my take. Quickly, I think it. I think it looks. It is very interesting and a little scary, frankly, but. Um, what do you think, Eric? Yeah, the, 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 I mean, the NoPixel um, specifically, like that, you know, I've, I've played on like private servers. Like I used to play on a private server for Ultima Online, right? Where it was like, it wasn't like a, it wasn't like a full on like LARPing type role playing experience. You're just playing the game in a private environment where they like rolled back a lot of the updates that, um, that Ultima had released. But, but I think like the idea of like a private server is not new, but I think the idea that, you know, you're, you're actually kind of, um, you know, you're, you're assuming this character and, and you're assuming like certain kind of like cultural norms within the world and not just playing a game. That's, that's pretty interesting. Um, you know, it, but I think like you also, you tend to see these things be shoehorned into, into games that are just like, well, it's, it's moddable. And so we do it there, right? Like with GTA five. Um, right. And it will be interesting to see if like anyone can come to market with a game that's like purpose built for that, right. For that activity, which is like, Hey, come and create like your own identity and live that identity here in this, in this virtual world. Um, I, yeah, maybe Singularity Six does that. Um, maybe Manticore ends up producing that, like being a platform for that. I think like it's probably a huge market opportunity, right? Like if you are the platform for doing that, like for, for allowing people to escape uh, their crappy lives and go live, you know, in the cloud. I, uh, Mark Andreessen had a interesting interview that he did he's talking about like people that are like reality privileged like um you know you talk about like you know all these all the you know in, invest investing money um you, you know pe people talk about like you know uh, all these billionaires going to space and these billionaires like thinking about colonizing mars and like why can't you invest money here and it's like well there, there's a class of people that are like their life is pretty awesome and and they can't imagine uh, not wanting to like recreate their life somewhere, like start, start from scratch, right? Like either in a virtual world or like go to Mars and start like a new society, right? Cause their life just kind of sucks. And it's like, I, I feel like you probably, we will see this, like uh, this just magnetism of like, yeah, I mean, I just got to escape this kind of crappy reality. That's really going to be impossible for me to ever climb, claw my way out of. And like, maybe these platforms like allow for that almost like a, like a matrix style, uh, you know, just escape from just like the, the just sort of crushing, uh, just just depression <laughs> of like the real world. <laughs> I, I know I've been I've been making that argument for like decades, dude. I've been like you know like that 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 is actually a lot of, a lot of truth to that. Like you you know if you're working nine to five at Walmart in Peoria, right? Like living out your life in, in World of Warcraft is super compelling, dude, because you're leading a group of like. 20 people on a, on a raid to kill a dragon, you know, that's far more interesting than dealing with these, you know, the, uh, the, the treacherous humanity that goes into Walmart, you know, but <laughs> so it's like that, that, you know, then you guys, you see guys that are ex army that, that, that are retired that, you know, want to lead something and they just can't find that in their real, their real lives coming in and, and running guilds and stuff like that. I mean, that is the allure of these type of 3D universes. That was actually part yeah. of the reason, you know, Snow Crash and Ready Player One, like, you know, dystopian future of the United States and everyone's fucking miserable, right? And so they go into these virtual yeah. worlds to escape, you know? And, and 
And I think I would argue that there's a lot of people like that now, right? So that 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 find solace and 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 um, and engage with this stuff to build achievement in their lives, you know. Versus, you know, all us people on the West Coast and East Coast that are like, you know, professionals that have, you know, you know, things going on more uh, than others, I suppose, um, you know, that, that it's not nearly as compelling to us, but it is certainly compelling to a, a huge swath of the population in the United States and, and others, obviously. So that's why I do think ultimately this stuff is going to work and it is working, right? How many people have spent their every waking moment and wow, you know, like, and, and other MMOs, right? They're just addicted you know so it only I, in my view it only it only takes someone to create a experience that appeals to a broader audience um that could take off and 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 capture a much bigger audience than people that are willing to spend 15 dollars a month for a you know dungeons and dragons game you know so anyway i think this is in our future for sure yeah i'm, I'm thinking about what types of services can actually do this right because you people will try to build a platform specifically for, for role-playing and they think will fail um, because they'll try to build a service around it. And whenever you look at this community and you say like, how do they build up that service and what are all the tools they need to do it? Um, as soon as you get these companies coming in and starting to dictate how those services need to run, that doesn't work. That's why it's operating in GTA Online on a private server, right. not within right. GTA Online. Um, so something like Manticore could work, right? But then as soon as you start saying, okay, Manticore is the one that's selling the skins and Manticore is the one that's selling, you know, other things outside of it, then it stops working, right? Um, and then those communities then end up going to other services that allow them access to all of that content for free. Right, um, right. Yeah. I, again, that's why Ipalia just sounds interesting to me. You know, like I just think, that it is a unique spin on an MMO in which you're basically doing like rudimentary tasks, you know, as opposed to fighting dragons, you know, but I, but again, these guys better get on the ball and, and start sending me some codes or I'm going to go postal. But um, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm excited for, I'm excited for what that game could be. And, and actually the reason I think it's really intriguing and they're like, so, so, um, the timing is so great is that how well Animal Crossing did, you know, during the pandemic, right? Like people really, really lost themselves in that game, you know, millions and millions of people during the pandemic. I don't, you know, I, I don't think that's a coincidence, right? <laughs> so anyway, uh, I, I will be interested to see how that game develops. Cool. So yeah, I think that's all the topics we've got. Um, how are we supposed to end this podcast again? I feel like I'm always going to be terrible at this. <laughs> um, so anyways, I, I think Miska has some emails. I think it's like info at Deconstructor Fund for feedback. Uh, we definitely appreciate it. Also reach out on LinkedIn and Twitter um, if you've got any feedback for us. Um, otherwise, thanks for tuning in and you know, appreciate all the feedback. All right. See you guys. Take care. Bye. Bye. Bye.